You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. As always, it's uh, awesome to see you all here today, as I said earlier, in, in person and online, of course, as we continue to make our way through our summer series, No Greater Love, which is all about God's love for us and how it transforms us to respond to it. And um, speaking of preaching sermons, since uh, Pastor Blair is on a sabbatical right now, that means I've been covering a lot of the things that he usually does throughout the week. So in order to get help with that extra workload, some of the elders offered to preach a sermon during the summer. And of course, Henry spoke last week, which I was grateful for. And in August, we'll get to hear from a couple of the other elders as well. And since I'm a nice guy, I let them each pick the topic that they wanted to preach on from a list that I'd sent them. But guess what? None of them volunteered to speak on the topic, which I'm going to be preaching on today. And I shouldn't be surprised, though, simply because it's all about how God disciplines us and reproves us. Yay! Such a fun topic, right? It's going to be so uplifting and encouraging this morning, so positive and loving. But you know what? When you actually think about it, it kind of is. Actually, it really is. To be, to be truthful, this is one of the most exciting aspects or benefits of God's love for us, that he disciplines the ones he loves. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, my son, Right, this is Solomon speaking to his son, King Solomon speaking to his son. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So what's interesting is, is that, you know, first of all, this passage tells us that one of the most tangible ways in which we can know and experience God's love for us, when we can be assured that God loves us, is when we're being disciplined or reproved. At, at first glance, it doesn't sound right, does it? Being, because being disciplined doesn't ever feel loving, right, in the moment. But, but wait, let's think about it. If, if you look back to your childhood, or if you are a child, think about your current childhood. Didn't your loving parents or guardians ever do something like take away your toys when you started to throw them at your sibling or your cousin, right, so, so that you wouldn't do it again? Or, or didn't they ever lecture you about running onto the street when you almost got hit by a car? Or didn't they ground you when you disobeyed their curfew? Or, or didn't they teach you how to clean your room or, or ride your bike or use manners or to eat your vegetables or to be kind to others or to practice piano or guitar when you just didn't want to? You'd rather be playing video games or, or, or do your business in the potty and to make sure you wash your hands after, right? And, and did they do those things? When, when you think back, did they do those things just to torture you or, or was it just for their twisted enjoyment? No. Sometimes it might have felt like it, right? But in hindsight, you are the person you are because of that, right? The, the discipline of a parent is done precisely for the purpose of, of teaching you and helping you grow and mature and become the best person you can be. In other words, they disciplined you because they loved you. 
I discipline my kids to the best of my ability because I want them to know Jesus, because I want them to be developed and, and transformed into capable and wise adults. I want them to continue to learn how to treat others well, and ultimately I want them to succeed in life according to God's will for them. And so I discipline them. Hebrews 12, 7 to 10 says this. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, right, as his children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So that's really what discipline is, right? It's not strictly about punishment, which is how we often view it, but rather it's about teaching, correcting, and leading people into what's right and true, into abundant life, into holiness. This is the purpose of the Lord's discipline in our lives. As his legitimate children through Christ, God wants us to flourish. He sees and knows our potential, right? He sees our future glorious selves. He knows our gifts and all that we're meant to accomplish for his kingdom and all he's meant to accomplish in us, right? Because he planned it. And, and he knows who we're created and safe to become. And so he disciplines us in order to mold us and purify us and lead us into it. As Timothy Keller once wrote, God sees us as we are and he loves us as we are and accepts us as we are, which is what we've been learning so far through this series, right? But then it says, but, but by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us where we are. He wants to draw the best out of us for us to be made perfect in love. For our hearts and lives to be transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold him and as we learn from him. And, and, and think of it like this. How, how silly would it be if, if he didn't care about our maturity or growth at all? Right? If we were born again in Christ and then, and then just simply left to fend for ourselves as spiritual babies, would any loving parent just leave their baby to like fend for itself? No, right? That would be incredibly unloving. And so the reality is that because God loves us, he's eternally committed, right? We learned about his faithfulness last week, that his faithfulness is his love and his love is his faithfulness. So he's eternally committed and faithful in leading us on a lifelong journey of growth and spiritual development until our hearts are fully sanctified and until our lives are fully formed into his living temples. This is why that, that as we abide in the love of Christ, like branches to the vine, God the Father is, is like the vine dresser. Jesus says, God the Father is like the vine dresser who, who comes and prunes us, right? He, he cuts away all the dead and unhealthy parts, all the old sinful nature parts which still linger so that we can increasingly mature and bear good fruit. His discipline is meant to equip us and to make us wise in our choices, to grow in faith and perseverance, to grow in desiring what he desires and to make us effective and productive in our callings. And in contrast to that, Proverbs 5.23 
Proverbs 5.23 says, He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. So those who lack discipline usually end up leading foolish lives, right? They do, they do dumb things. They do sinful things that lead to death. They act selfishly and, and wickedly because they don't know any better or because they've never had to pay the consequences or take responsibility for their actions in their formative years or because nobody loved them enough to teach them what's right and, and how to use discernment. Nobody loved them enough to rebuke or correct them when they needed it or maybe because they were just too stubborn or proud to listen to anyone who tried. But isn't that what we often do too? As, as humans, generally speaking, we, we have a tendency to despise or ignore correction because let's be honest, we don't usually enjoy it. It's no fun. Right? We, we don't usually like being told when we've done something wrong. In fact, we often get offended or angered, especially in today's culture. We get offended or angered when something imperfect about us is pointed out or when we're told we need to act or live in a different way than we want to. We, we don't like being told what's, what to do or what's morally right or wrong for our lives. Right? <clears throat> Hence the reason Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to define right and wrong for themselves. And we did the same thing. And of course, it's also no fun having to face the uncomfortable repercussions of our mistakes or to be humbled by the momentary consequences of our sin. And so this is why, in, in many cases, we might be tempted to, to scorn or despise or reject discipline. It's not always comfortable. It rubs up against our pride or our selfish desires. It can be painfully humbling. And again, it doesn't always feel beneficial or loving in the moment, especially when it comes in the form of reproof or, or trials or chastisement. And so that's why in, in times of discipline, I think that, that we have a tendency to act like that sulking and angry teenager who, who stomps off and, and slams the door of their room after getting a talking to from their parents about why they've been grounded for going to so-and-so's party the night before an exam. It's not fair. You never let me do anything. Right? You never let me do anything. You've all said it. Come on. <laughs> but later in life, they'll see that it was good for them, right? And that, and that their parents loved them and only had their best interest at heart. Hebrews 12.11 reminds us that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is why King Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, pleads to his son, right, and says, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof because it's good, because it's necessary, because like a parent to their child, it's done from a loving desire to set them on the right path. 
Therefore, it's one of the most loving things he can do for us. And, and in the same manner, this, this is, this, in the same vein, this is the manner in which Jesus calls us to be his disciples, right? He calls us to lay down our lives, to take up our cross and follow after him, to desire and submit to his discipline so that we can grow up in his likeness to submit to his correction and his eternal will, to humbly learn from him, to listen to his instruction and obey him and follow the leading of his spirit. This is the call of discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple, to be disciplined. And it's for our good. It's for our good. And I understand, though, that, that for those who may have grown up in an abusive home, or who maybe, who maybe didn't feel accepted or loved, who maybe experienced uh, a twisted form of discipline in the form of abuse or, or in a way that made them feel small or like they never measured up. From that perspective, I understand that this idea of discipline done in love might be a hard concept to grasp. And if that's you, from the bottom of my heart, I'm deeply sorry that you've had to experience that, that you had to go through that. But I want to emphasize for you then that God isn't like that. He doesn't ever discipline his children from a place of disdain or contempt or impatient or frustration or loss of control or to make us feel small or whatever. As Timothy Keller again writes, God's fatherly love means absolute safety. He will neither neglect nor abuse. His, his discipline only ever comes from a place of deep and affectionate love for his children, for our good. And while it's certainly meant to crush our sinful nature and evil desires, which, which can feel painful at times, it's never done to crush us. It's never done to abuse us or belittle us or shame us. Rather, it's only ever done with perfect wisdom. He knows what he's doing and he knows what we need to learn, right? Right? And it's only because he delights in us, because he desires the best for us, because he wants to turn us from the destructive power of sin and our old nature so we can grow more and more in the new life of Christ, which we've been freely invited into. As one of my commentaries states, the Lord's discipline works for our own good, that he might be glorified with our lives. He wants to, us to exhibit lives of holiness, lives that reflect the new nature that God has given us. So this, again, this is the purpose of the Lord's loving discipline. And so as Christians, as disciples of Christ, if, if we desire to grow in faithful perseverance and, and in our purpose and in our relationship with Jesus and in our relationship with one another as the body of Christ, I think we have to change or adjust our attitude towards discipline. The Lord even says in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Right? This verse is calling us to accept and desire discipline with hearts of repentance, humbly and eagerly allowing God to correct and reprove and shape us like the potter to the clay. Specifically speaking, I, I believe this, this means we need to start recognizing and receiving the work of his discipline in, in whatever way he brings it in our lives. Because, again, whatever way he brings it is going to be what we need in order to learn. He knows what he's doing. So whether it's in the midst of our circumstances, 
or in the moments where we're, where we're forced to, you know, face up to the immediate consequences of our sins, our mistakes, we hurt someone, we have to apologize for it, you know, or whether it's in listening to the, the convicting and guiding voice of the Holy Spirit when we're, make, when we're about to do something, or, or even in the simple lessons just learned throughout the rhythm and choices of our daily lives. God's teaching us, God's discipling us. In the book of James, uh, James writes something which, which could be kind of confusing. He says, count it all joy when you face various trials. For our culture, that's backwards, right? For, for our culture, the presence of trials and, and suffering is the opposite of joy. It's the opposite of happiness. But yet James can say that, this about trials because he knows that God uses these moments like the past year and a half that we've all been through, he uses these moments to discipline us for our good if we'll receive it. Like gold and silver being refined in a fire, God often uses these types of circumstances and trials in our lives, whether they're brought upon us or whether we bring them upon ourselves. He uses them to reveal and purge what is evil, to purify us, into his likeness, to draw us closer to him, and to increase and refine our faith and perseverance. And so, like James, knowing that God disciplines the ones he loves, not the ones he hates, he disciplines the ones he loves, should make us eager and even thankful for seasons of trials and challenges of faith. It should even make us grateful for those, those moments of godly chastening and rebuke, those wonderful punches, as they're often called, which can humble us and stretch us and purify us. Furthermore, we need to start asking ourselves, I think, in, in times of hardship and suffering, not why would God punish me like this or why would God allow me to go through this, but rather what is God teaching me through this? And how is God shaping me and stretching me in this? But that's not the only way that he disciplines the one he loves. He's also given us his word, the scripture, to primarily and actively do this in us as well. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 tells us this. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness in order to equip us for the work of the Lord, right? that, that's basically the very definition of discipline, of biblical discipline. And so what is it, where do we find that? By reading the Bible, Right? So when we prayerfully come to the word, when we humbly submit to it and allow it to do its work in us, it'll bring correction and conviction in our lives. It'll bring to light the things we've done wrong so that we can repent of them and find his mercy. It'll increase our knowledge of who God is, and it'll teach and train us in how to live and behave as his children, as image bearers of Christ. This is why it's so important that we're, that we're digging into the word of God daily. We're not going to grow as disciples of Christ if we're not reading the Bible. 1 Peter 5 even urges believers to discipline themselves. 1 Timothy 4 tells us to train ourselves for godliness. And this is the very way that we can do that, that we're supposed to do that. We need to be disciplined and prayerfully reading the Word so that it can discipline us 
for our good, for godliness. Besides, it's, it's much better, we all know this, it's much better to receive discipline from a place of listening and eager learning and trusting obedience than it is to have it forced upon us in a form of re- rebuke or chastisement. If you read the Bible and say, oh, this is how we're supposed to live, and then we do it, that's much easier than making a bunch of mistakes and then God saying, yeah, you're going to have to learn from those, right? <laughs> so read your Bible. It's much better. Finally then, God also places specific people in our lives to discipline and rebuke us in love, right? Whether that's our, our parents or our spouse or a trusted and loving friend, or a brother or sister in Christ at church, or, or someone in spiritual authority over you, like your pastor. The, these people in our lives, if, if they truly love us and, and seek the best for us in our walk with Christ, they won't let you keep on sinning, keep on, keep on being led astray, right? And they won't let you keep on being ignorant of the truth, right? Rather, they will, from a place of love, patiently seek to lead us, into truth and equip us and encourage us in our calling, and they'll be honest in their correction and reproof over us when it's needed, when it's required, even ready to carry our burdens with us until we've been restored. Of course, how you receive them is up to you, right? And as I've said, sometimes when someone is blunt and, and honest with us, it's initially hard to hear and we don't want to listen to them. We don't want to believe it. But again, discipline isn't always easy. Yet it's important and it's life-giving. And so I would encourage you in this. When another believer whom you love and trust and, and, and who loves you, when they sit you down, and they speak correction or truth into your life, choose to humble yourself and listen to them and learn from them, no matter how hard it is for you to hear. Don't, don't, don't make a wall or fight against it, right? Because if they love you, then you know they have your best interest at heart. And they're actually doing the Lord's work. In the same vein, I... Let's be sure to look out for each other in the church as well, to be vessels of of God's discipline in each other's lives. And by that, I don't mean running around arrogantly criticizing and pointing out each other's flaws and sins and mistakes and theological problems or whatever, right? Like, that's not what I mean. What I mean is we should be speaking the truth in love to one another. We should be building one another up in the faith, helping each other through teaching, through encouraging, through equipping, and yes, sometimes admonishing one another in the word. Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So one of our primary tasks as believers is to be seeking to help one another grow and mature in Christ. Disciples are are meant to disciple, right? And yes, this includes even correcting one another when it's needed. But on that note, I want to say a few things. We should only correct one another as long as we first acknowledged and addressed the plank in our own eye, right? 
and as long as we're ready to carry the burdens along with the person whom we're correcting until they're restored. Galatians 6, 1-2 gives us a little manual of, of, of how to correct one another, how to restore one another. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. So we should be doing it. But then it says, gently. Right? Should restore that person gently, not arrogantly pointing out their sin and their error. <laughs> You're wrong and I'm better than you. No, that's, that's a Pharisee. That's what a Pharisee does, right? You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but also watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted, and then carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, gently watching yourself, being aware of the plank in your own eye and your own weaknesses, and carrying each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is how we, we bring discipline to one another. And remember, love is patient, and it's kind, and it bears all things. This is how we love one another in discipline. We are patient, we are kind, we bear all things, even as it keeps no record of wrongs and rejoices in the truth. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross, right? He bore the burden of our sins so that there would no longer be kept a record of our wrongs so that forgiven of our sin, we can now walk in truth and righteousness. We can walk in his gentleness and his peace. In the same way, the cross reminds us that this is why while we will at times be chastened or rebuked or corrected by the Lord when we do sin or, or do wrong, we can actually be thankful that it's only now to discipline us and that we no longer have to face the full weight of punishment for it. Because at the cross, Jesus took the ultimate punishment for us. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He took the full weight of punishment for our sin, which is death, upon himself at the cross so that we can now live, so that we can be made right in God's eyes, so that we can grow and walk in the knowledge of the truth, so that by his grace, covered in his righteousness and filled by his spirit, he can now mold us and discipline us into becoming who we're truly meant to be. There's no greater love than this. And this is also what we remember when we come to the table and we receive communion together as the body of Christ. Right? His body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins so that by his grace we can now live in a new covenant of love. And we're going to receive that in a moment, but I'm going to pray first. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good Father. I thank you that you care about us, that you desire the best for us, and that you love us to the point that you, that you do discipline us, that you do bring correction, that you do bring training in righteousness that you teach us, that you lead us in the way of righteousness so that we can be made perfect in love. And Lord, I pray that, 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 that we would have humble hearts 
willing hearts ready to receive your correction and your rebuke and your teaching and your leading. Lord, that we wouldn't disdain it or or reject it, but that we would receive it so that we can continue to grow as individuals and as the body of Christ into who you've called us to be. And Heavenly Father, even as we remember that, that, that the weight of our sin no longer brings full punishment, Lord God, we, we, we come before you with grateful and thankful hearts for Jesus, for the cross, that his body was broken in our place, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be covered in righteousness, so that we could come before you and live as children in your kingdom, Lord God. So even as we receive and remember this, Lord God, I pray that that you would stir up in our hearts a desire and a longing to continue to grow up in the life with which you've called us. That since we've been saved by the Spirit, that we would now walk by the Spirit, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.